trolls and buggets, where liches skulk in towers and dragons' wings blot out the sun. But today, we will not pay attention to the political machinations of Falinel, nor the hordes that skulk through the red waste. We turn our eyes to fa- to a little town called Elmville, a most peculiar and query of lands, where they have things like automobiles and crystal cellular devices and high school? For today, we will answer the age-old question, what if John Hughes made a Dungeons and Dragons movie? Because this is Dimension 20. I'm your humble dungeon master, Brendan Lee Mulligan, and everybody say hi, intrepid heroes! <laughs> Hi, Intrepid Heroes. Ah, that's Hi. the bit. <laughs> God damn it. And now we can be sued for plagiarism. I did it. <laughs> Hi, everyone. It's original podcast, Do Not Steal, a podcast where every week Amber, Autumn, and I and a guest say hi, Hans. Hi, Hans. There we go. Talk about a property at length and then create an original character in that space. And today we're starting the illustrious Dimension 20 trilogy with Fantasy High. So, Amber, I'm going to talk for That's a while. Me. I brought Hans on this one because he's seen Dimension 20 with me. Do you have anything to say before we start talking? Oh, fuck. Um, Dimension 20 is one of those things that I don't know a single goddamn thing about, but I definitely know people in, in like, the space. Um, this, is, this is the first episode that we're recording after I went to Big Bad Con 2022. Um, which is this, like, independent uh, tabletop role-playing game conventions thing. Um, and so, like, I met, like, the woman who does, like, all the financial stuff for the McElroys. I met, like, like somebody who's, like, doing scouting stuff for, the, like, Critical Roles Publishing Company. I, like, currently am just, like, in a space where I have a bunch of, like, um, uh, RPG podcast stuff floating around near me. And I don't listen to any of them or, like, watch any. I don't. I don't do anything about role-playing games other than play them and make them, really. Um, and, I, like, I sort of have gathered, like, the, the, like the, the words Dimension 20 have floated around in my general peripheral space forever, and I don't even know what it is. I kind of have inferred that it's probably, like, a podcast or a web series or stuff. Like, truly, that's where I am working with here. All right, so you know nothing. Hans, do you have any things you'd like to say at the top of this episode? Listen, I think Brendan Lee Mulligan is lovely. Just, like, his energy, very much like the spiciest of saltine crackers, is really what you need to know. <laughs> the spiciest of saltine crackers is not a spicy food. For the, I'm assuming yeah, that's on purpose. but, like, it's a compliment for, like, his era. You know what I mean? I'm so upset about how much I know about all of the fucking people at Dimension 20 because Hans was like, ah, the spiciest saltine cracker. And I was immediately like, oh, remember the episode of Adventuring Party where Allie outs Brendan and says, Brendan, your dad told me a story where you had beans and said they were too spicy. And Stop! <laughs> <laughs> no, because then Brendan had to defend himself. And he was like, no, my dad makes chili. It's called the mulligan. It's all right, chili. And he ha he let me try a piece. And I went, that is the level of spice I can handle. And my dad said, Brendan, that's just beans. <laughs> 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 so anyway, Dimension 20 is college humor's 
dropout real play show so you're watching people play dungeons and dragons in real time and what separates it from something say critical role which is just a stream or dungeons and taddies was just a podcast it's a show with not props and sets than the way a show normally has but props for a tabletop rpg so it's all in-house custom-made miniatures and there are cameras occasionally they swoop in fun ways when the battle episodes and they'll switch the camera based on who's talking who's role-playing sometimes they try to catch little silent character moments shout out zach oyama the king of silent character moments where it is just him acting while brendan is describing what has happened love him to death So, Fantasy High was the first one they made. And like I said up top, it is, what if John Hughes made a D&D campaign? And I think the easiest way I can describe it to Amber to kind of get a sense of how to make characters, because I'm bad at that on me episodes, is Fantasy High is take your standard Forgotten Realms, give it a 50s, 80s movie high school aesthetic, and then apply modern-day sensibilities to gender politics and sexuality, and that's how a fantasy high character would function. Does that make sense to you? It absolutely makes sense to me. That's a We've seen that before. Um, that's just like the Buffy joke, but, uh, you know, for high fantasy. Were you going to say something, Hans? No, I'm just saying that was a really good way to describe it. I was just going to be like, Glee, if they didn't sing and it was good, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, so if it wasn't Glee Yeah, basically. But the high school is still there and they're also like gay. So like Fair enough. So I think I'm not gonna spend too much time going over the machinations of the plot because we've covered real play shows before and like I always say when it comes to the, just any tabletop RPG in general, the literal what happens is secondary to how your players react to it. So I think I'm going to go over, and full-on spoilers, by the way, If you, there's a 0% chance that, god damn it, if you're listening to this, you're my friend in real life, so you probably haven't seen Dimension 20, but on the off chance you typed in Dimension 20 into the podcast app and found this one first, there's a 0% chance you haven't already seen it, so full spoilers. That seems reasonable to me. Yeah, so I'm probably just going to talk about characters and players broadly and then talk about their arcs and things, and we'll see how it goes from there. And then I think at the end of that, I'll be like, and there's kind of here are tiers of characters you can make spaces in. You could make a core party member, one of the bad kids. You could make a minor antagonist, or you could make like a school faculty member. So before I get into that, Hans, you've seen the show. Anything to say before I talk and don't stop for a while? Like, just, like, anything at all that I liked about it or, like, disliked? Like, can you give me a criteria? Because I'm not a creative man. Um, just, like, my brain farted. The power's out in my house. I am in a dark closet. Forgive me. It will happen from time to time. But anyways, just, like... That's okay. You come out when you're ready. At some point in our lives. (laughs) Yeah. Did we just make the same joke in different formats? (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, no, um, I don't know. This was, I think this was literally the uh, podcast that got me into, like, actual, like, listening to D&D. I think, right, this was the first one we listened to together, right, Devin? No, it's, that's Dungeons and Daddies. Yeah, but they do that badly, right? So, like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the bit is they don't actually know how to play D&D. <laughs> yeah, so this is where I learned, oh, D&D has, like, rules and shit, right? 
Um, but I didn't even mind that because it was just like the characters were so good and everything. I was really surprised because they had a lot of people at that table. Um, but I just like that all the characters were like very clearly like, oh, this is some trauma. And then they like fixed it. And it was really good. I like that. Yeah, cool. I actually just remembered how I was going to start this episode, the things I wanted to say, because it's been a while and my brain has been farting all day. Power's gone out, everyone. I'm sorry. This episode's going to be off the rails. But where I want to start is I want to talk about Brendan Lee Mulligan. And Brendan, thank you for listening. I sent you that email. Your people said they'd get back to me. Thank you so much. But I know that Brendan thinks that DMs get way too much credit, so I really want to make a point in this trilogy to point out to the players, because they're all wonderful, fantastic, I can't wait to talk about them. But Brendan, buddy, pal, friend, man with a beautiful soul, what if we talked? What if we talked and we got along? What if we kissed? That'd be kind of cool. This might be getting weird. I'm abandoning this bit. But when I listen to Matt Mercer... Great DM. Inarguable. But there are like tiny invisible things about his style that I just don't, they click as wrong to me. When I listen to Dungeons and Daddies, I think Anthony Birch is a good DM, but I generally think I could do what he does. Brennan is my platonic ideal of what a DM should be. He's like everything I want out of a you DM. You start with like, let's kiss, and then it's like now a platonic ideal. No, this is a homoerotic ideal. Thank you. <laughs> but the the things I am bad about DMing, I'm bad at yes and. I intentionally make NPCs that aren't very dimensional. Brennan fucking excels at it. He has so many just great lines that are pulled out of nowhere. The NPCs are interesting and fun to spend time with. He's so good at rolling with the punches. And then the things I think I am good at, he's even better at than me. So just, I just wanted to shout that out real quick. Brandon, you're one of my favorite DMs in this space. You're so fun. Jawbone, what a great character. We'll get there when we get there. Gorthalax made Hans realize he was a monster fucker. Wonderful soul illegal and not true that is 100 percent true that is factual factual <laughs> it's really not he's just a good dad you know you know you never get emotional and a little horny about a good dad like come on who amongst us no i don't <laughs> but yeah i a fucking brendan he plays everyone's dad and he's such a good dad and so many it, not just dads he's such he's such a good parent in so many different shades of parents but i spent enough time talking about brendan Love you, buddy. Come on the show. I sent you that email. Your people said they'd get back to me. I feel like you accidentally sent him to let's be racist against Irish email, and that's why he's not getting back to you. <laughs> yeah. Check your sent box. <laughs> I sent Brendan a let's be racist against Irish people email. It's so funny. And he said, let's get back to this. <laughs> As people were like, we'll put this on hold. We'll think about it. So. Starting with our bad kids is Fabian Aramea Seacaster, son of Bill Seacaster, played by one Lou Wilson. And Lou, buddy, my nigga, you should come on the podcast. Be like, <laughs> is this what this episode is going to be, Devin? It's just you, you like shouting out every single cast member and being like, I sent you an email. Your people said, you, you said, you, come on, man. Get on the podcast. Fuck you. No, is, that, is, was, that, is that what this episode is? It was going to be, how many times could I do that before Amber had that exact response? <laughs> I was just 
just thought you were gonna ask them all to kiss and I was behind that I was like yeah 15 minutes you made it just under 15 minutes <laughs> but also hey Lou Wilson buddy pal friend come on the podcast no I'm gonna stop uh but I want to shout out Lou Wilson real quick because that man puts his whole ass into every character he has ever played and it is the mark of a good player who recognizes that character decisions, they f come from your first instinct. So you have to really recognize what about a character makes a decision and just knowing them that well, that's the mark of a good player. It is the mark of a great player who can look at a character's faults, their weaknesses, their foibles, and know what decisions they would then make. And we're not talking about season two just yet, but Hans, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I don't like it. Lou, don't come on the podcast. It made me scared and sad. <laughs> because Lou makes the worst decision, and it is perfectly in character, and he gets a lot of people killed, and it's great. Yeah, no, it's just the fact that, like, everything that came after, the manifestations of his nightmares after, I don't care about the people who died. It was just, it was just, it was just scary. It was just scary. It was not good. I don't care about the people who died, Hans, 2022. Yes, thank you. But that's very broad, so let me get specific with Fabian very much. Fabian, son of Bill Seacaster. Bill Seacaster is the most favorite pirate in the world of Spire, uh, and he retired to the world of Elmville, because Elmville has, like, a words I'm looking for, but essentially you come here and all of your past crimes are essentially forgiven. Amnesty. Yeah, so Fabian, he's a rich kid. He's a little pompous. There is a fine line Fabian walks between being insufferable and charming, and Lou masterfully walks it the entire time. And when you describe, like, what Fabian is, rich kid who wants to be captain of the football team, he could very easily be a bully in this setting. But again, it's that, it's that fine line that Lou walks the entire time he plays him, and there's, like... Fabian has an air about him. His dad is the most pirate motherfucker of all time. He, Brendan's doing a big, Ah! Oh, Fabian, my darling boy! You're a direct reflection of me. That's how I relate to you. I love that dad, too. He was so encouraging. <laughs> yeah, Bill's, like, unironically a great dad, and his, his arc is realizing that the thing I said at first, where you're a direct reflection of me, is wrong. You're nothing like me, and that's the best gift a father could ever be given. Uh, but Fabian isn't his dad, and that's the point. He takes more after his mom, even though his mom isn't the biggest character in season one, but he carries himself with an air. He's a rich kid with a, a verbose vocabulary. Uh, and he wants every word to just be very important and hang on every syllable I am saying. I have chosen these words quite eloquently and <laughs> I love kippers. Uh, that's Fabian. He's the fighter of the group. Bah! Then we got Tumblr sexy, uh, Tumblr sexy man Riz Gutgak. How do I want to describe Riz Gutgak? Oh, this is going to be a long running bit for the Dimension 20 thing, but we stan... Uh, an asexual icon, so shout out to Riz Gutgak, our asexual icon. Oh my god. Is What's the joke here, as someone who does, is, is he very horny? What's the... Oh no, it's just, Dimension 20 has a lot of queer characters, and I'm gonna be like, when we get to Crown of Candy, I'll be like, uh, we stan an asexual icon, shout out to Liam Wilhelmina. That's just a thing okay, I gotta it. do for this trilogy. Sorry, I was yawning. So Riz Gutgak is a goblin boy detective his dad paul got died his mom slanda is a single mom they live on the bad side of town in a rundown apartment is played by 
Brian Murphy. Shout out to Brian Murphy. He is, I would say, a lawful good rules lawyer. Because in the first season, he sat right next to Allie Beardsley. And Allie had never played D&D before. So having the expert player who is a DM in his own thing, he runs NADPOD with the new person just helps things move along very well. I think he was like the perfect little kind of like introverted character. I think he brought everybody together really well because like in in the season like he just gets bullied. He becomes the ball because they literally throw him in the trash. Um, But no, he's just like, I think a very clever character. I also like, what's the guy's name, Brian? He always chooses like the most, the smallest kind of like outwardly cringy characters, but he makes them into something beautiful and like just someone you can't help but like cheer for in the end. And I think that's really cute. Yeah, Riz, like most of Brian's character is very understated, but understated doesn't mean that there isn't depth here and you do, you really get to know Riz Gutgak and understand why he is this way and that the work, uh, the boy detective, the workaholic thing, the my favorite drink is coffee is a coping mechanism because he doesn't want to process the loss of his dad and we deal with that a lot in season two. We're going to move on next to... Da, 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 da. This dog got drawn out because I forgot the name of Kristen Applebee's. And uh, shout out, we stan a lesbian icon. Shout out to fucking Kristen Applebee's. Are you going to do this every time they have an identity? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the most realistic repressed gay uh, representation I've seen in media... Um, <laughs> So, shout out to Allie Beardsley. Uh, we stan uh, <laughs> a non-binary right. trans icon. Okay. Last time for this season, but it will come up when we continue to do this. But shout out to Allie Beardsley, because magic is real and so is Allie. They have the most insane, clutch, plot-relevant, the dice want this nat 20 to happen all time consistently it's fucking nonsense at the final battle the literally the climax of the story everyone is dead except for fabian and ali just goes hey brendan can i roll this nat 20 and if i and if it's a 20 i get to be alive and brendan goes yeah sure why not shoves almonds in his mouth and ali rolls the fucking nat 20 I did not know how they were going to get out, like, of any situation without Allie, to be honest. Remember when the- oh, that's also season two, never mind. I don't know why you brought me on. All I remember is season two. I mean, you're allowed to talk about season two if you want. We'll just do a more in-depth full episode, like, later. But yeah, no, it's every time. They just be rolling the nat 20s. Like, when they were the woods, um, and escaping, and they wouldn't have made it unless they had, like, that extra flight and all that. Fantastic. Fantastic. So, Kristen Applebee's is a- not camp is a christian camp kid she's a cleric she praises helio the sun god also the cor- no helio is the sun god and he has a son who's the corn god and it's a very it's a christian allegory one of those she's constantly in the tie-dye shirt this is praise helio who comes to terms with her identity as a gay woman over the course of the series but it's that's like the secondary plot because her a plot is she has a crisis of faith because she dies in their first encounter because Allie because none of them knew what the fuck they were doing and she meets helio and she finds out that her god is a bro because Allie's like no because kristen's like why do good things happen to bad people and Helio goes bro that sounds like a bummer i'm gonna fucking bounce and then he turns his hat sideways and disappears and so Allie and so Kristen gets, like, a world religions book, and, like, her god becomes, like, 
Like, when she has to summon, like, the paladins and shit, it's like all these philosophers who are like, uh, the, the journey is in the discovering, not the destination, rah! When they do the smite and shit. That's Kristen Appleby's. Then we got Siobhan Thompson, who plays Adine Abernat. Hans, do you have anything to say about Allie or Siobhan? I am so fucking out of it today. Jesus Christ, this episode's bad. That's okay, you have you have two more in the series to keep people around for, so... Adon was great. Great portrayal of fucking mental illness, um, straight up. Like, I've never seen, like, that incorporate... It, like, into a story that way, or just, especially not into, like, roleplay podcasts, but, like, the... Adine has, like, a panic disorder, um, and this is also why Jawbone's incredible, because he actually helps her deal with it and, like, recognizes it's not a character flaw, but, like, the way they incorporate it into the role-playing and, like, the reality of how it would impact the character is impeccable. Just absolutely fantastic. Also, the player, just really, really good. Because I thought she was the most prim and proper person ever till we see her in, like, the next iteration of Unsleeping City. And it's complete change. So just, like, incredible acting skills all around. Yeah, Siobhan Thompson really does the, like, I played this character, I'm going to do a whole 180 in the next one. But, yeah... Adon Abernat has the, this is like the worst parent Brendan plays in the season because her parents are aloof and distant and she has a sister, Eowyn, and Eowyn is the perfect golden child who they constantly compare her to and then just ignore Adon. And yeah, she's got the, she's got an anxiety disorder. I'm currently wearing the Roll for Panic Attack shirt as we record this podcast. So cute. And she comes into her own, recognizes that the mental disorder is not a character flaw. It is, like, probably the most famous moment from season one. When, like, Jawbone's, it's not a character flaw speech. It's beautiful. I think about it and I tear up every time. Then we got Gorgug Thistlespring, played by Zach Oyama. Shout out to Zach Oyama. Like I said earlier, king of bits where he is just acting out things while Brendan is describing them. There's a running gag where Gorgug runs, rolls terrible insight checks, and because he's a half-orc who was adopted by the Thistle Springs, who are two gnomes, he's constantly... <laughs> he constantly thinks people are his dad. So there's this party where Gorgug's, like, playing the drums, and he rolls, like, a two on an insight check, <laughs> and Brendan goes, you don't like this feeling, and as he keeps describing it, Zach just looks so panicked because the ending punchline is like however however small you realize in this moment you could be your own dad and so all you listening out there you too could be your own dad so like you know never give up never give up but yeah gorgug is a half orc who is coming to own into puberty and not really comfortable in his own body and doesn't really know where to place all this anger because his parents are gnomes so they don't know how to deal with this like new orcish stuff and they're really torn up about not knowing how to relate to their son but the thistle springs are the best parents they're so supportive and understanding and they're constantly there for gorgug and gorgug despite being on a quest to find his dad he never does my least favorite trope which is when the adopted kid gets in a fight with their dad and they go you're not even my real dad i'm thinking of reaper when i say this and that might be reflective of that real experience i don't know i'm not adopted but as a viewer as someone who consumes media it's my least favorite thing in the world i just get super upset every time it happens gorgug never does that he loves uh thelma uh, i can't remember their names off the top of my head but he loves his parents they're great to him he just Kind of wants to find his other orc dad. And spoilers, he does at the end, and it's cute. And then, 
Oh, God damn it. I, oh, God, my brain is farting so much. But yeah, no, there is one last kid, one last bad kid, Figaroth Faith. Mm-hmm. Hans, you have anything to say about Fig before I fail to get into explaining Fig's character? Her dad is attractive in a very non-fucking way. <laughs> Hans literally sent me a text when he got to the episode where you meet Fig's dad, and it was just, I've never been so attracted to anything. Am I a monster fucker? No! No, I did not! No! <laughs> you can't produce that any more than I can produce your Irish email on an audio format, so we are both fine. That's where you're wrong, because I run the Twitter for this account, and I can post a picture when this episode goes up that proves me right. God, you're evil. But anyways, Figaroth Faith is the daughter of Gorthalax the Insatiable and Sandra Lynn. She didn't know that. She thought she was a half-elf until she hit puberty, and her horns came in, so she's a tiefling bard. I haven't gone over the classes. We'll get to that in a, se- we'll get to that in a later segment. And she's got a lot of strange feelings about that, because when her horns came in, Galir didn't handle it super well. It brought up a lot of feelings of like, oh, my wife cheated on me. Sandra Lynn didn't handle it very well. Now she's also got this other dad who wasn't in her life. So just things are going wrong. She's lashing out. She's on a quest to find her dad. I think her character arc is best summarized when they're in jail. And (laughs) Emily goes, you know, guys, I think you spend your whole life thinking you have daddy issues, and then you find out you have mommy issues. And then everyone at the table goes, no, I think that's you. That's a you thing. That's a a you thing, Fig. It was the only time she talked about her feelings and could not run away physically because she was in jail. (laughs) That's the other great thing about Fig, is like every time she talks about her feelings, she starts it by saying, I'm a close-off person. I don't wear my heart on her sleeve. And the second time she does it, everyone at the party's like, no, you do this every time. And then she just runs away. Which is how you solve your problems. This is correct. Good lead by example. Thank you, Figaroth. Yeah, but her her character arc is like finding her dad's, but through that also finding out that her mom is a person because she put a lot of undue stress onto Sandra Lynn. And then she finds out that Sandra Lynn was just a person trying her best. And sometimes your best isn't enough if you're a parent. And I love Fig. She's the rebel anarchist sort of. Well, I don't want to say anarchist because there are anarchists. (laughs) <laughs> They're an- anarcho-socialist halflings. We'll fucking get to the grubs because the grubs are some of the best NPCs in Dimension 20. Uh, Fig's great. I I love all of these characters and I've done a poor job of describing them, but I want to talk about her dads real quick because we'll talk about NPCs a little bit more. Um, but her one dad, Galir, <laughs> Galir Faith, who is the only balding half-elf to, a balding elf to have ever existed, who is a man perpetually having the worst goddamn luck. But Amber, I remember you watched, not Community... Nah, Parks and Rec. You watch Parks and Rec, and you didn't like that the joke was just they shit on Jerry constantly? Yeah, I I don't remember whether that was my take or not, but um, it, I definitely have some complicated feelings about the character who, like, is nice, and everybody is just a dick to them all the time. Um, yeah, I think it did, it did definitely get to the point in Parks and Rec specifically where I was like, I don't feel good about this joke anymore. Like, Jerry's nice. Why... I bring that up to say, like, Galir's nice, and it's not that characters shit on him, it is just he has no good luck. But also, he does get moments of 
not just like moments to shine. He does have a moment where he gets to be a hero for a second, but also moments of genuine ethos and empathy where you really get to understand that there's a human person here. And he's just the guy with bad luck. Uh, so I just wanted to shout that out real quick. And I want to talk about Gorthalax for a second, because Gorthalax is one of the reasons where I'm like, God, Brennan's such a better DM than me, because they have talk episodes and they have fight episodes. And in the talk episode where they met Gorthalax, all these kids have questions. Uh, <laughs> and Kirsten, who is both questioning her religion and her sexual orientation, is like asking a lot of sex questions the other kids are either uncomfortable about or don't know how to answer because they're also a bunch of versions. And Gorthalax is like... <laughs> There's nothing wrong with asking questions about sex, all right? And, and they ask about the mechanics. And I remember being like, I am also very curious about the mechanics because you're like an eight-foot demon and, and Sandra Lynn's just like a human-sized elf. I don't remember this at all. Were we listening to the same podcast? This is literally the reason you have a crush on Gorthalax. This is more fake news. You're just gaslighting me into this happening. No, because Gorthalax, when he responds, well, I would describe sex as any form of intimacy between two sentient beings who love each other. That's when you were like, he's a poet. I love his soul. You can't, you have a bad, I can't gaslight you if you just have a bad memory. It can't have happened if I don't remember it. But yeah, that's a very sweet way for all the parents listening. That's how you should describe sex to your kids. Yeah, so those are kind of the bad kids. Amber, do you have like a feel for this world before I kind of talk about some of the antagonists or some of the NPCs or any questions you have? I intuitively feel like I have an understanding. You mentioned um, uh, the classes earlier and I am interested about how like the D&D mechanics intersects with the world. If you have like a section plan for that later, great. Um, and if not, then maybe this is an invitation to talk about it a little bit. Okay, cool. So they go to the Eggford Adventuring Academy where they're literally taught like how being an adventuring party works. The principal, Arthur Eggfort, on the speech, A, shout out to Good Setup Payoff. His speech starts with, this tea tastes strange and the greatest magic in the world is chronomancy. And both of those things are paid off in the last episode. So just you know, good storytelling. But they go to school to learn how to be a better adventuring party and well elmville is the oddity the rest of starts with an s the fucking the rest of the setting conforms to just like a forgotten realms-esque place with magic and sorcery and a sit a floating city made of desperate ships where all the pirates live i'm not sure if that answers your question could you be a little more because sp- i'm a little like loose on what you want answered out of that well you seemed like you had something to say about how each character not like not class like academic class like class like D D class oh no i just uh i just kind of realized i forgot to bring up like gorgug's a barbarian riz is a rogue sure okay yeah i just wanted to bring up character classes because that's like a, a thing that makes making a character in a dungeons and dragons setting a little bit easier it gives you structure yeah yeah well we're talking about the school most of the faculty members don't get a lot of scenes because NPCs that are important are derived with how much your characters want to spend time with them and not a lot of the campaign is spent going to school because that would be boring. Right. The important ones are Arthur Eggfort, the principal who dies 
in the first episode because not the first episode the second episode because two characters straight up die <laughs> it was so funny because i was like man it's hard to die in 5e that shit's like impossible to die in dude you get three death saving throws and then first encounter boom two characters dead and i was like well shit how do they get out of this? <laughs> and they find their principal, who is Brendan, going, what if I took, like, all of the wizard tropes and treated this like a real person? You'd be like, oh, this man is crazy. <laughs> and, and so he pulls out the last phoenix egg, and he goes, well, Mr. Gibbons, a price must be paid. What? And Arthur Eggfort pulls out a gun, shoots Mr. Gibbons in the face, shoots himself in the head, brings back the two other students. That was the, that's the moment I knew I was going to like this podcast. I was like, well, they died. It's boring now. And then there was a gun, and I was like, yes. And, and Fabian is just screaming, what the fuck? What the fuck? God, Fabian screaming in panic is the best. Uh, and then there's Vice Principal Golden Horde, who, full spoilers, he's the villain. He's Calvaxis. He's the one putting most of the things in place to come back. There's a whole prophecy that involves seven maidens. I'd spend time talking about the seven maidens here, but spoilers, we will eventually do a The Seven episode, and I bet Amber will be very excited about that because The Seven is the most feminine energy I've ever felt while watching a real play show, and I just feel like Amber would be excited about that. You're right. I am excited about that. I love women. I hate women. Hans <laughs> does hate women. He is a gay man. No. You, 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 you said it. You just gave it away. You just said I hate women. I don't remember that happening. Do you remember it happening, Amber? No, I think, Devin, you're going crazy. Yeah, I think this is number one of your brain parts, Devin. I think you need to get it together. <laughs> you know what? That's fair. <laughs> so here, I'll just say that the Seven Maidens are part of Calvax. The prophecy to bring back Calvaxis is to, br- uh, to bring Calvaxis back. It's like when the Seven Maidens are caught in the lair of Calvaxis' thing. So it's uh, seven girls who get kidnapped. Um, minor villains that they encounter are Rog Barkrock, who is on the Blood Ball team, and he's the bully who throws Riz in the trash can. He goes, you're the fucking ball! If I catch anyone not calling you the ball, I'm gonna fucking kill him! Uh, there is Dane Blade, who is definitely not Rog's crush. He doesn't have a crush on him. If you say that, Rog will absolutely beat the shit out of you. I'll fuck you up, dude. I will fucking kill you. That is not cool. Don't bring that up. Don't ask me about my dad. I fucking love Coach Daybreak. Coach Daybreak is the coach who doesn't like Fabian because he's a rich kid with no heart. Really likes Kristen Applebee's because the coach is a... I'll just say these exact words because they are a violent religious extremist. (laughs) There's a lot of allegories to America. There's guns in schools. There's religious extremists in schools. There's like... Yeah, yeah, basically it's America. My favorite part is when Kristen is like having her all of her religious questions and she goes to Coach Daybreak and he's just like, well, you see, Kristen, here's what it is. There are people who believe in Helio and they're good and there are people who don't and they're bad. And anyone who's different from you, they just make me angry. And it's just important to stay angry. Kristen, does that make sense? And Kristen's like, what? What if you like wanted to kiss girls? Oh, you'd go to hell. You'd go to hell immediately. Honestly, shout out to Brennan again for that because that felt so. As someone who's been very close to those types of people, it was like being in the room with one of them again. It was terrifying, um, but very good, very good. Yeah, um, and then there is 
Penelope Everpedal, who is uh, Dane's boyfriend. She wants to be prom queen, and she's very that. Uh, just the, the villain in a high school thing who wants to be prom queen. Eowyn Aberdat, Adine's older sister, who is the praised kid. I don't think this is going to make sense to either of you a thing, but if it doesn't, I'll explain it. But you guys know, like, the the pastor's daughter, like that? Oh, absolutely. Okay, yeah, she's like that. She's like a prom and prepper at the house, but an absolute goddamn wild child outside of it and is also part of the evil machinations. Um, Hans, before we move on, do you want to talk about Rog? I'm, I'm going to feel bad if we don't talk about Rog Barkrock. He's one of my favorite characters. <laughs> Rog is literally the best. He is a puppy dog um, with a redemption arc. I, I just, I don't know what to say about him without, you got to watch it. Like, if you watch any episode, just watch the one where Rog gets recessorated and they say, hey, you shit your pants and we're going to blackmail you into being a good person. And it works because, you know, that's how you fix people. It's not the prison industrial complex. It's just blackmail. Um, and it's really good. It's really good. <laughs> He's got the shirt that says, hey, I'm gay now. We stand our crab king. <laughs> Yes! Oh my god, yes. Oh, but I want to, I just, all I remember is season two, and I want to talk about, like, his little season two art, because <laughs> that's also happened to me. It's just, it's great, because, what, like, the second Kirsten realizes she's gay, she's so excited when other people are gay, and so when Rog's talking about how much he loves Dane, she's like, I, I think I know, you ever have any dreams about about Dane? He's like, yeah, dude, I have dreams about Dane all the time. One time, like, like he was like, hey, Rog, I know where your dad is, and we can find him, but he was, like, a centaur, so, like, I, I had to ride him, and, like, we, we rode to find my dad. Okay, Rog, were you, like, you guys wearing anything? He's like, no, like, fucking centaurs don't wear anything, dude. It's like, I had to, I, I had to, like, hold him as we were riding, okay? <laughs> you just have to hold people while you're riding them sometimes, and that's, that's just facts. Uh, so, Amber, any, any other questions? Anything you feel like you'd need to know, or do you have, like, ideas and things? Yeah, it's funny how much listening to this um my first instinct is like it's so buffy i just want to be like who's the school librarian um uh what do they study the only class we really spend time in is barbarian school because fig is constantly cutting classes and she goes to barbarian school along with gorgug and that's where they become friends they have a band sit fig and the sig figs um and the joke is that Gorgug doesn't really know how to use his anger. Because... <laughs> and so I was like, when, when you get angry, Gorgug, what do you feel? And he goes, oh, uh, my parents told me to sing a song. So I, when you feel mad, recognize it's just because you're sad. I don't think that's it. And then Fig is just like, well, when I get angry, I picture a fire, an uncontrollable fire that burns everything down and then eventually consumes myself. And <laughs> and the coach is just crying. He's like, you come to my class anytime. You get it. You get how to be a barbarian. Um, classes are just like they take the class you have and someone explains how to do it better. But we again, I've said it a lot over the courses. We don't spend a lot of time with them. It's also very funny because Fig is convinced that the barbarian teacher is the villain the entire time. So, like, he's trying to bond oh, the fuck with her. And she's just like, yeah, I'm one of you motherfucker. It's awful. Okay, I want to talk about the plot for a little bit of a second because that does help things. But also, uh, what I would call good DMing is understanding that what the world looks like and what the story is you're going to tell is is based a lot on what characters your players present you with. So, when fantasy I was being created it wasn't a mystery story until 
Brian went up to Brendan and said, hey, I want to play a boy detective. And if you want to be a boy detective, there needs to be a mystery to solve. And so the mystery is like, there's all these missing girls. What's up with that? And that's what's trying to be solved. And they find out that the conspiracy goes deeper than that. And so it takes them on adventures to like, there's this kid, the ghost goth half-elf kid whose name escapes me at the middle of it they have to find out he's involved with it there's a fight at the club the fight at the club is when Kristen realizes she's gay because trackers and not because not trackers niece because jawbone's niece tracker hits on her there's a investigation into the mining facility where they fight a bunch of dwarf kids who are like skater kids and it all acquiesces at prom when the prophecy is fulfilled because they've cracked the mystery and it's just Golden Horde trying to turn into the dragon Calvaxis again. How sentient are dragons in this world? Extremely. They're fully sentient talking things. You could okay. ethically okay. fuck one. Not that I would because I am not a monster fucker. Is there like high school movie archetypes that you could part port over? Um, and like we have the mean girl... Um, do we have, like, the nerd character? Yes. There are several nerds in the IT club. Well, the essentially what is the IT club that also are key to the mystery. Um, one of them is helping with uh, the devious things, although they're doing it just because they're, like, an incel, I think. Is that right, Devin? They're just like, I can't get laid. Biz Glitterdoo is the worst nice guy of all time, and he keeps trying to hit on Iodine, and she absolutely is having none of it, and I fucking love it. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry i'm just thinking of the biz glitter two fight that takes place in an arcade and it's fucking horrifying and hilarious but biz biz glitter do he's a shitty little pixie man who tips his hat and says <laughs> m'lady uh, tell me about the arcade okay so the arcade uh takes place when because they try to recoup biz to be like their hacker and then spoilers he was working for the bad guys and there are these things called palimpsests that can, like, they're just storage units. And if you jailbreak one, it can become, like, a storage unit for a person. And that's how, like, the maidens get kidnapped and transferred away. One of them being Zelda, who is Gorgug's girlfriend. Maybe we'll talk about that more if it comes up. I just want to give that a quick shout out. Because I, for one, I love Zelda. But so Biz is trying to use the palimpsests. And he's taught, he's like, hey, uh, hey, hey, because Biz likes Riz the most out of all of the bad kids who aren't Eowyn because he's like a weird, because he sees like a nerd because Riz Gutgak is a nerd. In the first episode, he's handing out like his business cards to try to be people's friends. Which is so sweet. And you should never do that, but it's really sweet. And so Biz, like he's got the palimpsest and he's like, you know, Riz, like, we never get to be like the heroes. But in here, and he points to the arcades that, like, have the seven maiden souls and he has the empty palimpsest, we get to be the heroes. Are you on my side, Dad? And so then he's like, yeah, can I can I hold the palimpsest? Holds it, puts the gun to Biz's face. He goes, I'm going to fucking shoot you. Uh, but the arcade is a fight wherein the clock is ticking. Biz is downloading the souls of the maidens to get sent off somewhere. And they have to get through the arcade. And every, like... Like, one out of 
17, I want to say, of the arcade machines ha is a trap. And if you don't pass the check, you get sucked into a mini arcade game that you have to beat to get back out. And it's a haunted arcade, so it's haunted by the ghosts of nerds. So it's a ghost fight with a ticking clock where some of the arcade machines will suck your soul. And it's a thing you have to deal with. And it was a fight scene that they had. It's also, fun fact, where Gorgug Thistlespring gets... Uh, he gets aged by some of the ghosts, so that's why he has a white streak and, like, crow's feet, despite the fact that he's 17. Okay, so I'm really intrigued by the Supernatural Arcade as a setting. It doesn't even need to be the, the like, the same arcade. It could be a competitor arcade. I just really like the idea of high fantasy arcade in our 80s, 90s John Hughes uh, Dungeons & Dragons game. I think it's very funny when people are jacked for jobs that they don't have to be jacked for. So, like, we could put, like, maybe, like, a giant person at the arcade with the, like, tiny little joysticks and whatnot. I think that's hilarious. Like, a really defensively styled fighter, like a like a half-orc fighter, just, like, way too big for the machines. Mm-hmm. But it's just so nimble, like, he just has to put, like, a thumb on, like, the joystick and just move it, like, up, 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 down, down. <laughs> that's adorable. Could I suggest that they be a Goliath? How big is our Goliath? Bigger than half-orcs. They're, like, ten feet? A Goliath barcade guy who just really loves the arcade. <laughs> well, I assume he works there. I assume he's not just like a creep hanging out at the arcade with all the children all the time. And there's adult arcades. See, I think I think that's where I want to come down. Do we want to make a student? Do we want to make like an ancillary person? How connected to the events going on do we want to make? Like what space do we really want to make a character in? Because like we can, we can figure out the arcade stuff after this, but I want to know like... Sure. Student, person, like, wh what are you guys feeling on that? Tell me if this tracks. Um, tell me if this sounds right, but, like, the instinct that I'm getting hearing this is older kid, um, like, really, like, not even a kid, like, probably, like, early 20s at this point, or, like, maybe, like, 19, um, uh, used to go to the high school, but doesn't anymore, but is still close enough to the high school that the main cast of characters, like, know who he is and think he's cool because he already graduated and is a grown-up TM, um, and, like, serves as sort of, like, a, a, a figure who just, like, knows everything around town and people will, like, go to him for information and advice, um, and we as the audience can recognize that he's basically just a kid and isn't actually all that cool, um, but to the characters... Like, the, the, the nerd kid from Freaks and Geeks, who's just, like, a year older than everyone and is clearly giving out bad advice all the time, um, but everybody thinks that he's cool because he's, like, older than the other kids. This joke's just gonna be for Hans, so it's like a Johnny Spells who- I was gonna say that! <laughs> Fuck you! Yeah, exactly. It's exactly like that, sure. There's a creep character who's a little older and who steals some of the maidens because he's, like, a predator but can't fuck because he made a deal with Gorfalax, actually. Um, and so he's just a creep that hits on girls. Um, we can have a reverse. We can have a reverse one. That's beautiful. I love it. Yeah, so to explain a little bit about Johnny Spells, just for, like, the D&D nerds out there, Johnny Spells is a warlock, so his patron is Gorthalax the Unsatiable, and the bit of the contract Gorthalax spent, because he's like, this guy feels like a fucking creep, is that Johnny Spells cannot fuck. He cannot fuck <laughs> if he wants to do magic. But yeah, just, like, a slightly older kid who hangs out at the arcade, who occasionally, like, dibs a little, like, lore dump and clues for the bad kids to follow if they're in our alternate AU where Brian isn't as good as a detective. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Is Goliath its own class, or that's just, like, a character, like, a 
creature type, right? It's a creature that, type. That's a race. Yeah. Awesome. So should we give them a class? I actually think a spellcaster would be funny. A spellcaster would be funny. Like a sorcerer who just like doesn't uh, practice his spells at fucking all. Oh my god. And whenever he tries, he gets them like just a little bit wrong. Like, that'd be cute. Because he didn't study. Maybe he's a dropout instead. You know, like he dropped out of school. And so like all his spells and all that are just like a little bit off. Like if he goes like increase score it like increases too much and breaks the mesquite machine or something like so all his little hacks don't work so he actually genuinely has to play the game to be good at it listen man magic isn't something that happens in between the pages of books okay it's something that happens here when you beat the high score and you type in ass and you're <laughs> fucking rad that's good i like that that's cute all right so we like the idea of sorcerer goliath who's not very good at being a sorcerer or a goliath. Right. Hey, adorable. <laughs> what the what do they look like? What's the what are the aesthetics here? We can't do like Molgoth cuz I feel like Fig is already too close to that, you know what I mean? Yeah, and then we'd be stepping on Cody's toes. We'll get to the unsleeping city. Don't you worry everyone listening, including Brendan Lee Mulligan. Brendan. Come on the podcast. I'm trying to think of the type of like adult who spends time in an arcade cabinet and they dress like someone who would spend time at a game shop, at a hobbyist store, a Captain Sweatpants, if you will, someone who's got a shirt that is a video game reference, and a button that is the Watchman button, and shorts that are plaid for some reason. I think that, I think like standard nerd wear, I'm presenting something at the Game Awards, but just jacked to the fucking gills <laughs> beautiful yeah that's funny so here's my question we've got like a character who is funny do we want to add any ethos like what's going on in their life what do they have other than this shop other than these games is it just because like do they not do the magic because they don't care? Or is it like they actually struggle with the type of learning school would give you and video games or something they can excel at? So this is why this is the hobby they've picked up. Is that anything? What are you guys feeling? Second one. How do you feel, Amber? Yeah, I'm with you. Um, I think that's maybe a little bit more different. Does that cover like personality enough? Like, do we have a feel of how this guy would talk to people? I see him being pretty gregarious, and I mean, this is like a guy who spends like a bunch of his time with kids who are still in high school, right? Who like has kids who are still in high school coming to him for advice, and I would imagine that that would affect a way a person would see oneself. Like, there's probably a little bit of a case of arrested development going on here. Yeah, I was gonna say, like, Amber, you've been to board game night at the Griffin, right? Oh, I I don't actually know that I I mean I've been to the Griffin many times, but I don't actually know that I've been to their um their board game night specifically. But you've been to, like, one over the course of your life wherein you make tabletop RPGs, yeah? Absolutely, yes, I have been to board game nights in general. And, so yeah, you know the archetype of a Captain Sweatpants, but you know, like, on a board game night, there's there's a guy who's loud. Like, who's just being real loud, right? Just a loud nerd with words of wisdom that we, the audience, go, I don't know if that's all that wise, but <laughs> the kids who are only a year younger than him go, damn, that's fucking deep, dude. That's exactly right, yeah. Cool. Uh, name. What's the... What are what are the name conventions? Roll me a couple of those names again. 
Fabian Aramaeus Seacaster, Adine Abernat, Riz Gutgek, Gorgug Thistlespring, Figaroth Faith, Kristen Applebees, Jawbone, Trekker, <laughs> Thrash Sharp Scales, that's my boy. I feel like a one word name like Tracker would really suit him and his personality. Okay, hold on. I I have what he goes by. He goes by the Coin Master because he runs an arcade. Uh, that's not his real name. That's just a thing I wanted to say. That's so cute. Absolutely. That's the thing. Okay, that's the thing that people call him. That is not a name that he chose for himself, and it's not a thing that like anybody else in the arcade or even he seems really aware is his name. But all of the kids in the main cast talk about him like that's his name, even though it's not clear that that's a thing that anybody else knows about. <laughs> that's fantastic they're gonna be going around school like yeah we got this like from the coin master like, like who the fuck like or if they call him by that name he just like keeps playing his game until they do it like five times and he's like oh yeah 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 what's up <laughs> exactly yeah oh papa i heard the most wonderful bit of news from the coin master who's the coin master me boy he works at the arcade i thought his name was gregory <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah <laughs> that's good actually now that i've said it out loud i think gregory i think that's a good name for, <laughs> for a goliath arcade boy i'm also really glad because i cannot come up with any of them fantasy names like i know it's just replacing like a th at the end every time but like i cannot do that mentally okay okay let me let me pitch you a, a slight twist on his name being gregory because it's a fantasy setting and it needs to be a little funky uh his name is gregory Gregory Strong Thumbs. What a lovely man. How old is he? Like 22? 20? Oh yeah, 22 is way old. I kind of wanted him to be 21 so he can be like, I can buy alcohol and the bad kids are like, <laughs> whoa! It's like, it's like the scene in the Darkness Rising movies when the guy walks in and he's like, who wants to play a game with someone who's touched boobs before? <laughs> I feel like he tries to enchant people's IDs to make them, like, look older, but it just changes the year to something ridiculous. Like, it says I'm 114 years old, and he's like, listen, you're over 21. That's what you asked for. <laughs> That's funny. All right, yeah, that... Does that feel fully realized to everyone else? Is there anything we're missing, or does Grigori feel like a person? Feels very personable. What does he want? Does he want to just be better at spells, though? Is that, his like, his, his big hurdle? I think Grigori wants to open a chain of, like, the like the town's most successful chain of, like, like pinball stores. Um, and we never see him making any progress towards this or any indication that he has any actual hooks in the pinball world. But every time that we see him, um, he makes some reference towards all these, like, cool new business acquisitions he's made. And then the end, can it reveal, like, everybody, like, doesn't really believe him. Like, he's, like, maybe, like, a crypto bro. Like, yeah, sure, Gregory, you're, like, buying him. And they come down, like, after, like, maybe, like, second season, season Devin, they come back to the town, and, like, just one of the streets is just straight pinball things, like, up and down. And he's like, yeah, I've been working on it while you guys were gone, like, the whole time. I spent all of that Calvaxis money on investments. <laughs> yes. And they're super successful and, like, useful and just beloved by the town. He teamed up with Pete's old with Pete's old drug dealing buddy. <laughs> <laughs> and they invested, yes. 
This is a good character. I like him very much. Yeah, that feels Grigori. whole to me. So, guys, are we at one fun fact apiece? I would love to come up with one fun fact apiece about Grigori, the arcade player. I have a fun fact ready, I think. And that when Amber said, or I forgot who said, um, but he's like that guy that like, who wants to play a game with someone who touched boobs? He has touched boobs, but they're like, like fucking like arachnid woman boobs or something. So there's like 18 of them. And that's like his biggest flex in life. He's like, yeah, I've touched like a hundred boobs, but they were all on one mythical creature. And he does not disclose that. (laughs) Do we as the audience know that? Or is that just like canon that you can find on like the fan wiki somewhere? I feel like that get revealed, and he's like, it still counts, bro! Like, it still counts! <laughs> Opening Thirsty Season 2 fame, is like, I can't wait to get my kisses in all the time. Like, he finds out, and he gets, like, hurt. He's, like, hurt at the revelation that the 18 titties were just on one woman. I think we were talking about tattoos earlier before, um, before the recording started, um, and so my mind's there. And so I think um, that uh, in keeping with his um, persona as, like, a guy who has touched boobs before, Grigori has um, on his bicep, like, a tattoo of, like, a naked lady um, uh, that he did himself. Um, and it kind of looks bad, but, like, everybody's impressed by it anyway. Mm, that's very cute. Is it a lady he knows, or is it just, like, a character, or is it, like, just one straight from his imagination? It's th- that last one. <laughs> That's the best. Good. Good choice. Alright, and Devin, sadly, I think I got a bop before you give your fact, because I am late already. Alright, yeah, that's cool, then. If you gotta go, you gotta go. Okay, goodbye. Um, Thank you so Bye. much, Amber. Thank wait, you, wait, Devin. wait. Do you want to plug your socials? No, but thank you. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Um... Uh, see, I would plug the Z Library, but that's down. So I guess just if any of the viewers are missing Z Library, Internet Archive is still out there. It's called Open Internet. They have some of the books, but the U.S. government hates us and hates learning. So, you know, Z Library is down forever. R.I.P. That's it. That's all I want to plug. Thank you for joining yeah, us, cool. Hans. Yeah. Anytime. See y'all later. See you next time. Bye. Alright folks, and that is unfortunately, or very fortunately, depending on your enjoyment of this episode, where we're going to cut things off today, both for the sake of brevity and my editing capacity. Because this first installment of our Dimension 20 trilogy comes with a special segment where I, Prince Devin, talk about my pre-existing fantasy high OC, Thrash Sharp Scales. So join us later this week if you want not only the final fun fact about Grigori Strong Thumbs, our parasocial bonding question of the week, but if you want special sit-down Devin talky storytelling time where you get to learn all about Thrash, my gender-fluid, multi-classing, ranger-barbarian little lad struggling with imposter syndrome, mixed kid feelings, and an undeniable yet hereto unaccepted love of the theater. All of this and more. That last part is a lie. You won't get more. Just the things I talked about beforehand. But, but it'll be great. You'll have a great time. And never forget, we here at the pod love you very much.